0: All right, welcome, welcome to Redemption Tucson, everyone. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the uh, the lead pastor here, and it's great to be here um, with you all. Just by way of introduction, if you're new or you've never heard me before, or you weren't paying attention um, when I was here, I do have a stutter. So just so you know, it kind of comes in and out, and I always want to make sure people know what that what that is. Um, what's up, what's happening, and um, uh, just cu- quickly there on the movie Selma, um, we're excited, we're going to go, uh, myself and my wife, and we're going to invite in a number of others to come, and just again, definitely want to encourage you to come. that. Also, the march is going to start at Santa Rita Park, as Jared said, which is basically just down 6th Avenue from here. So it's on 22nd and 6th Avenue, and then we will walk basically just down 6th Avenue to right here to Armory Park. So it starts at 9 o'clock, should move pretty quickly. Um, Last year, we thought it was just around the U of A Mall, and so we start walking with our kids and then keep going. And and, and it went all the way to Randolph Park on Alvernon, and um, we had no idea it was that far. So this year we know it's just from point A to point B. But yeah, I want to encourage you to that. And Selma, um, we considered taking our kids. They're pretty um, smart, I don't know, pretty culturally engaged kids. But we decided not to actually just last night. We watched, remember the... Titans with them, which is an incredibly good and thought-provoking movie, had great conversation with our kids, but um, it was pretty intense, and our one daughter was um, pretty moved by the car accident, and we are like, okay, some of the stuff that's in Selma is going to be a little more intense than that. so anyway, just want to, again, kind of give you a warning, but want to invite you to come. Really want to encourage that. Um, also, I'm just glad to be here. I can say, I can um, authoritatively say, having spent a week in San Francisco and then in Phoenix, Tucson's better. Um, I just I was really glad to come home to Tucson. I've been away and um, it was great. We had a great time. I got to officiate a wedding of a dear friend of ours who actually we're going to watch a video that they um, recorded for us to watch while they're on their uh, on their honeymoon, um, which I realized it could be weird, but um, it's not. It's it's cool. I'll explain that in a, in a minute. Um, but I also just want to say, I, I heard from um, Wayne, who was down here, who preached um, last week. How many of y'all were, were here and got to hear um, Wayne? Yeah, Wayne is an incredible guy, good friend. Um, he said that you all hosted him well, and he, he loved it, was, was glad to be here. Um, I did hear there were a few points where he was expecting some amens and some kind of responses. <laughs> And we didn't do it. Um, so I love you, but we're going to grow with that. Okay. So, amen. There it is. Thank you. Okay. So we need to get, okay, we can clap when we're singing. Um, anyone, if you have the gift of rhythm, help us out. Just initiate clapping. And so we need to grow as a church in those ways. Um, but uh, let me, let me, um, I don't have time for this because we got a pretty big sermon going on here today. So, with that, um, if you need a Bible. If you don't have one, um, please hold your hand up high and someone will hit you one. So hold it up high. Don't be shy. Um, I always say that and it rhymes. Hold it up high. Don't be shy. I do not lie. Um, and uh, so someone will get you one. If you don't own a Bible, keep this one. Okay. We want to make sure that everybody owns a Bible. So keep this. Put your name in it, mark it up, things like that. If you do own one and just forgot it, go ahead and um, leave that one in the back. So um, while they're uh, handing those out, let me just kind of introduce where we're headed, kind of where we've been. We're in a short series right now, If you, as you can see up here, um, going through what it means to be a restored people, a restored people in the city, and then next week we'll talk about in the church, and this week we're talking about... Um, Jesus' (laughs) Jesus promise to form a restored people in the home. And so um, I'm excited for this. As I've mentioned before, starting in February, on February 8th, we're going to start this series. We're going to be in the book of Mark for over a year, and we're going to just hunker down in God's word. But until then, we've had the opportunity to be in a number of kind of short series of God shaping us as a people, some kind of really important truths and sees in these mini-series that we've been in. And this one in particular, um, this sermon in particular, being a restored people in the home, um, it means a lot to me. In fact, honestly, a lot of how God called me to be a pastor was Him continuing to break my heart for um, His plan of restoring us relationally in our homes, as men and as women and as families. And um, and so this is going to be a pretty intense um, subject, and it's also going to probably be a little bit l- longer. I don't know, but I just want to give you um, the heads up on the front end that we have a lot to cover, right? Because we've all come from a home in some capacity, and most of us are either a man or a m- woman um, in here. And so, so this stuff will hit home for us. But I, I heard uh, one of my favorite um, pastor is an African-American pastor on the East Coast named um, E. Mace or Eric Mason. I'll quote him when in in introducing one of his sermons. He said, um, sermonettes produce Christianettes, but sermons help form Christians, right? So we're not in the business of wanting to be Christianettes around here. So um, we're going to dive into a sermon today to help us grow as Christians. So with that, we have a lot of work to do. Um, Let me go ahead and pray, and then we will get after it. Let's pray. Thank you, um, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we don't have to make sense of our lives on our own. Lord, thank you that um, as we come as men and women and we live our lives in the context of family and home, um, there's a lot to make sense of there. There's a lot of brokenness in our world, a lot of brokenness in our own hearts and lives, and we submit ourselves to your scripture Lord, I pray that, we would, that, that you would prepare us to hear from you, to be shaped by you, Lord, that we can look honestly at the brokenness that we live in and in turn be formed and filled with hope by your restorative work, Lord Jesus, of forming a new family through your work and through your headship. And so in that we pray um, with expectance for your work through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, as I mentioned, um, I asked my friends to record a brief v- video because these guys are um, they 're a c- couple that my wife and I have gotten to know and love um, very much. We got to know the guy the husband um mm. Dan. They've actually been here before. We got to know Dan as probably 12 years ago as a freshman, a college freshman. We worked in college ministry and he was a raw non-Christian and just by God's grace we got to know him, we got to have him in our home, grew to love him. Um, we got to see him put his trust in Jesus and grow as a man of God, and he's now helping to plant a church in San Francisco, and um, then his now wife, who we've gotten to know and love as well, Kara, um, experienced a divorce. A devo- she walked through a really broken relationship, and her um, husband left her and abandoned her, and then they are a picture of God's restorative work and hope. So I asked them just to record some of their story, so it's about a five-minute video video, so let's watch them as they share um, some of their their story with
1: us. You know, when I moved out to Redemption San Francisco, I was following God, and I was doing this big ministry thing, but I really uh, had doubts in my heart about God's grace and God's goodness, and uh, really have grown to understand that in my relationship with Kara. I mean, there's just nothing... Um, that I did to deserve her or for this relationship to work or to be married. And so I'm just constantly just so surprised about that. Um, And there's tons of things that I could talk about. But one other thing that I wanted to say, uh, the way that God has used Kara to restore my heart, and uh, I come from a divorced family and come from broken relationships. And uh, I think in the past that I've always... Uh, tried to gain acceptance from being a certain way, and specifically with women, uh, all the things that I thought were attractive or the way that I would uh, things that I would pursue in other people, I just didn't work with Kara at all. Um, she uh, wasn't impressed by any of those things, and I really was faced to be like, okay, uh, so why is she talking to me? And over time, I realized that. Kara just saw me for who I was. She was able to see um, how God had created me, and um, and I just felt like I could really take my guard down and be who I am and honestly discover more who I am. Kara has encouraged a ton of those things in my heart um, over this past year, and it's just really opened up uh, just all the masks that I wear, but also just uh, opened up my view of uh, of God and how he specifically in his sovereignty and providence uh, wanted to reveal, uh, reveal those things about him through Kara over this past year.
2: So I actually was, part of my story, I was also born in a broken relationship and then 11 years ago I got married and um, walked through that for a very long time, with someone who uh, did not love the Lord, did not show grace, and really didn't know Jesus, and for many years walked through, continuing to show up uh, spiritually and emotionally myself, and that um, ultimately being very alone in that, and and culminating in really being uh, abruptly physically, emotionally financially abandoned. so you can imagine when we started dating there was a lot of fears and anxieties in my heart that and sin and selfishness that God really uh, has been completely faithful and continuing to pursue and to work out uh, particularly for example when walking through those difficult times and really hard conversations and fears uh, God showed Me a lot of his grace through dance, standing through those, and not being shaken by those fears, but pointing back to the gospel. And also through our community, our friends, and families really coming around us and doing that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, in the end of the day, there is uh, so many variables that happen in our relationship, and none of uh, this her coming from a divorce out of a divorce and me. Being single for so long <laughs> felt like uh, it was different. But at the end of the day, what has kept us uh, together is Christ and his redemptive work. And just trusting that there was a plan for all of this. And um, I wouldn't uh, obviously want it any other way because it's so rich and deep and meaningful. And, and so there's just so much uh, to say of, of how God Subtly redeems us in ways that we don't need to expect. So, thanks guys. I hope this is encouraging to you and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. All right, see you guys. Bye. All right,
0: yeah, I would. I mean, I don't think there's any need to give them a round, a round of applause, they can't hear us. Um, <laughs> but as I said, there there's good friends of ours, and um, you know, she got. Quiet. There, you could tell. There's a lot going on. Um, and uh, but but there's a lot in their story. In fact, it was it was fun. Our whole family was in it. My my kids were like ring bearers and flower girls, and my wife was in the wedding, and I got to officiate aff- 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 it. But what we don't see there is there's a, so much to the story, and and that's true for every one of us in here. Is um, we um, we interact with one another, but we come with with a, a context right, with the surrounding context in our story that shapes us, it shapes who we are, and none of our lives are just kind of um, isolated, right, but they fall into a greater context, and um, as we always talk about, every single one of us in here needs to understand that who we are as men, and as women, and as families, and, and as a church, falls in the greater context of God's story, The greater historical narrative of who God is and who we are and how we interact with God and how we interact with one another. And so just to remind us of that, God created us. He created us to reflect him and he he created man to carry out the responsibility of um, living as his stewards in the world. And then he said, it's not good that man is alone. And so he created woman. And he intentionally created us, man and woman, to interact with one another. And our relationships, yes, as husband and wives, and also in general, as men and as women, would reflect him. And it was good and it was perfect in every way. And now I pronounce you husband and wife. No, that is often a a, a marriage sermon, but that's the true story of the world because then brokenness ensued. And we are defined by this brokenness in more ways than we even want to acknowledge in many ways in our lives. We, we turned away from God, individually and corporately, as men and as women and together. We said, God, your design for manhood and womanhood and for family is not the way I want to live, but instead we're going to figure it out on our own. And that's the world and the mess that we live in, and that we're going to dive into some today. But the good news, I'll just start with the good news, is God doesn't leave us there. He said, um, this is brokenness. They are stuck where they are. I will come and, and create a new line, a new family line, a, a, a new identity for how manhood and womanhood and family ought to be. And so Jesus came. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to come and to make new what had been broken. And he promises to make everything new. And so that's the context, is we, um, we're going to launch out of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, what Louis read at the beginning, because what's happening there, just to give some of the, some of the b- b- background, is the author is talking about two family lines, okay? Two, two family trees that we all have, that because of sin, we're all born into a broken family. The, the term used here is one of slavery, we're enslaved to brokenness. As men and as women and as families. But then Jesus comes to restore all that has been broken. To usher in a new family line. So with that, let's read in Galatians again, chapter 4, verse 4-7. through seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those. That means to to rescue back or to restore those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. That, that is God's promise. But again, we can become inoculated. We can kind of just um, kind of grow numb to these truths. We can hear that, okay, yeah, adopted sons and daughters, but we continue to operate in brokenness, in slavery, in how we interact with one another, and how we function in our homes. I, I've used the, the, the illustration, the picture that's uncomfortable, and we need to understand it of, of a wound. We've all been wounded. And um, we've either put um, insufficient band-aids and then let scabs grow over and there's an infection. And we just kind of function in that way. And what we need to do in order to see the beauty of the reality that we are adopted into a new family is we need to rip that scab off. We need to submit ourselves to God's word and to recognize and and understand and and embrace the brokenness that we have as men and as women and as families in order to see the restorative work of Jesus as restored men and restored women and restored families. And um, let me just say, I um, I have some friends, actually some who are here who are in the Police force, some officers, and, and I got to go to a, a kind of a, a conference class this last week up in Phoenix, and we hear about you know the police and all the different things that they have to do. One of the most significant parts of the job is what domestic violence is going to broken homes, is getting calls that there's unrest, there's brokenness in homes in all sorts of ways, and we can hear that and think. Oh, that's a societal problem. That's a neighborhood problem. That's a public school problem or whatever it might be. Kind of fill in the blank and we want to think it's out there. But we as the church, as God's people, and thankfully God says, no, that's not just an out there problem. That's a, a sin problem. That's a people problem. And then from there, that's a, a church problem. It knows no socioeconomic boundaries. It knows no neighborhood boundaries. The brokenness in families is everywhere. So what we're going to do, as I said, is we're going to enter in. We're going to get real. And so where we're going to go is we're just going to walk. We could cover a lot of different issues, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to look at biblical manhood and womanhood and families. And then we're going to understand the broken manhood and womanhood and families that we operate in. So we're, we're prepared and positioned to rightly respond to Jesus' work of restoring a people. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let's dive in, okay? We're going to start out with the men. Okay, men, so everyone, this is good for all of us men and women, but kind of let's let's put on our seatbelt and get ready as um, as we submit ourselves to God's work and to who we're called to be as men. So with that, we're going to read, we're going to mostly be in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're just going to kind of hop around, but men, let's start with us, okay? Beginning in Genesis chapter 1, again with God's design. This is God creating us. It says this in Genesis 1, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Sorry, I actually skipped over. First in Genesis 1, 26, let's start there. Then God said, let us make man in our image, as we just talked about, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So that's God's design. That's creation of man. That should never get old to us. That defines our lives. Everyone in here, that defines us. The imago day, the image of God. And because we're not just created men and women, and because God created us intentionally to how we relate with one another, we look down into Genesis chapter 2 now to see um, how womanhood and manhood is designed by God. Now we pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Again, this is specifically the context of marriage, but you see God's design in general as men and as women is perfect. It's good. There's no jockeying for Position, there's no infighting. There's no abuse. And there's no, you know, playing games and all kinds of different things that we experience. It's good. And it's perfect. And there's no shame. And it's God's design for how we are to be. But then, in the most tragic plot line ever, things go awry. As I said earlier, we turn our backs on God. And what happens is, is, is we are tempted, man and woman. And there's a scene that unfolds. And, and basically their eyes are open. And they say, oh, maybe God's plans aren't enough. Maybe we should figure it out on our own. So they eat of the forbidden fruit. And they walk down this road of saying, maybe we can be like God. Maybe we don't need God to define life for us. To define manhood and womanhood for us, maybe we can just figure it out on our own. And so, let's pick up in Genesis three, in verse um, in verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Something that would have been normal and refreshing and encouraging. Oh, there's God walking in the garden. Let's run to Him. But because of sin, that's not the case. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And then um, there's a series of them explaining which we'll dive into what happened. But basically God says, You've turned your back on me. Now there's a consequence of that. The natural result of life without God is brokenness as men and as women and as families and as all of life. And then God explains this in verse 16, picking up there. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's tragic. That's real life for you and me today. Brokenness. We'll walk through some of the specific things that were said there. But you see that manhood as a result of turning away from God is distorted. And womanhood is distorted. And relationship is distorted. Relationship with God is broken. Relationship with one another is broken. And this shows up in so many ways in our lives. Again, let's be real here. Let's enter in. Everyone in this room has been affected in some way by distorted manhood. Okay, we'll get to womanhood in a minute, but let's all enter in and realize what, well, whether it's the homes we came from, the, the coaches we had, um, the men we interact with now and today, and all of us in some facet have been broken by some distortions of manhood. So I'm going to just walk through some of those that actually show up right here just so we can get real and and understand that all of us in some way can identify with. We either ourselves um, um, operate out of one of these distortions or all of these distortions and we've been affected and treated by men who have been distorted in some way. So first, the first distortion of man that we see here is the absent man. What happens in chapter three? What does God say first? His first interaction. He's walking in the cool of the day in something that should be good, that man and woman should run to God. What happens? God has to ask, where are you? Man is absent. He's hiding. He's afraid of God. Shame has consumed him and he hides. And too often in our world today, do we not hear that same question? In our homes, in our city, in our churches. Men, where are you? Absent men, hiding, consumed by fear, living our lives distorted, afraid of what will be found out. We're just absent. We just bail. We just take a back seat and hide. Too many women, too many children, too many families have been defined by and operate out of absent men. Let's keep going because closely related to the absent man is the passive man. The passive man who just just hides, just kind of sits back, is there, is around, is nearby, but is kind of silent. Well, um, there's an incredible book called The Silence of Adam. Some of you may have, uh, have actually uh, heard of this, but uh, right, you hear jokes or different people will talk about this brokenness, the, the fall of man and of woman, and, and what happens? The serpent tempts Eve, and you, you hear people joking, well, Eve, if she wouldn't have eaten the, the forbidden fruit, you know, we wouldn't be in this mess we're in. Oh, it's all Eve. But the reality is, who did God give the charges to? Who did God say, steward what I have created? Lead, Not as a tyrant, not, as a, not in a hierarchy, not with some, some high lofty position, but you have been given a responsibility. Lead as a man. And what happened? Eve is tempted and where's Adam? Well, she gave the fruit to him, so he's most certainly right there. But he's passively standing by, maybe biting his nails. Just, uh, I don't know, this isn't how it should go. But passively, driven by fear, distorted, silent. And brokenness ensues. And then, again, closely related, the next distortion of man, we have the blaming man. The blaming man, what happens? God asks this, and what is? what are the first words out of Adam's mouth? What, what, what happened? What went awry? I charged you to lead. What happened? What does Adam say? Well, the woman... <laughs> The woman, and then he blames her, right? First of all, it's a woman. And then what does he do? It's insane. He blames God. The woman that you gave me, she did this. It's her fault. How many of us today are the blaming man? We operate in this world. Okay, let me be honest, guys. Look at me. We have, many of us have been dealt an unfair deck. Okay, we've been given um, a hard hand we may have had absent dads ourselves. We may have had abusive or blaming or passive dads ourselves. Or we, may have, we are, are, are products of society. But whatever the case, that's a distortion. And in order to turn our eyes to Jesus and to be restored as men, we need to recognize the distortion that we operate in. We need to stop blaming everything else. Well, my family, you don't know about this. You don't know about my wife. You've never, you, don't know about, you don't know this or that or that. Blaming everything else. But instead, God calls us to own up and to recognize, I have sinned. That's what repentance means. I have sinned and turned away from you. I am broken and I need to be restored only through your work but we have the absent man the passive man the blaming man and then the lazy man and this shows up by by just your normal thinking of what it means to be lazy and also by workaholics in the same way we're, we're passive we're absent you have god talks about how work would be and too many people think ah it's too hard it's too hard to pursue my wife it's too hard to lead my family it's too hard to play catch after work it's just i'm gonna be i'm gonna be lazy i'm gonna just sit here and do my own and again that shows up not just by your traditional couch potato legs up on the chair watching football whatever it is which isn't bad in of itself i'm excited to go home and watch the games you know myself today but when that defines us and we're consumed with laziness and that drives us it's a distortion. And it can also show up as workaholics, right? You might be working, you might be at your desk typing away, you might be out in the garage working away, but that's just another form of distorted laziness. I'm not going to pursue my family, I'm not going to lead well, I'm just going to do what I can control. We've got the lazy man, and then lastly, the abusive man which we'll get to the interrelatedness of this, but as God explains the curse, the consequence of turning away from him that that will define women's lives and womanhood, he talks about the relationship and he says, your desire will be for your husband, which I'll get into that in a minute. He says, but he will be harsh with you. He will lead you harshly. You have brokenness there and you have the abusive man. Who takes out his anger and his fears and who tries to justify himself by being abusive. And I think we would all agree that that's pathetic and unacceptable. That's a distortion. That abusive man, you may have been abused by before, but that's no excuse to continue that on. That's a distortion, and it's unacceptable. Domestic violence is not a societal issue. It's not a police issue. Thank God we have police who enter into those situations. But I just heard a story, and I pray this would be true of our city, of our neighborhood, that the police in that area would carry the people from the church's cards, different people's contact information. When they went to a domestic violence issue, they would say right there, you have a choice. You can go to jail, or you can talk to someone from the church who can Lead you through this. You need to submit to counseling. You need to grow. You need to admit the brokenness here. And so the police were involved in recognizing this isn't just a societal issue. This isn't just a police issue. This is a family issue. This is a sin issue. Abuse is unacceptable, and we have to stand up and say all of these things are distortions. Let me just say, if you're single, single man, wake up. Um, I don't see anyone sleeping, by the way. But if if you're tuning out, if you think, well, I'm not married yet, I'll just roll out of bed one day. And once I meet that, you know, perfect girl, I'll be Prince Charming all of a sudden. And even though I come from this kind of family and even though I sleep in until three and play video games and I'm lazy and absent and silent and passive and abusive, that'll just change all of a sudden when I get married. It will not. In fact, in a lot of ways, it may even be magnified. Okay, this is for all of us here. Manhood has been distorted. And the only place we have to go for hope of restoration to be a restored people is Jesus. Amen. And now we switch to women. Okay, we can't just uh, carry on. As I said, we're interrelated. Women, let's just um, look at again. I'm not going to read through it, but look back in Genesis chapter 2 at the incredible goodness that it is to be a woman. Okay, God said it's not good that man is alone. We couldn't fully, we as humanity cannot fulfill our function of reflecting God, of relating to God as just men. That's never been the case. God said it's not good, it's incomplete. So he creates woman, and you see God's intentionality of designing women. There's more intentionality explained in how God designs woman by causing man to fall asleep and then taking the rib and forming woman and creating her. And then in the first wedding, God walks Eve down the aisle and presents her to man. And Adam actually busts out into a song. He sings a song, honestly. In the Hebrew, there is song language there when he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for out of man she was taken. He's singing a song and it's good. And it goes on, right? And and it says... Um, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was no shame defining women. Women, can you imagine life with no shame, with no identity conflict, with no identity issues, with no need to um, demand respect? Because you live in a broken society and you live in relationships with broken men where you're not treated the way you ought to be. You're not respected and affirmed and esteemed in the way that God designed you to be. Can you imagine a world where there's no infighting and gossip and tearing others down and, and um, eating disorders and um, all kinds of other issues that are done because your identity as women has been distorted by sin? Can you imagine a world that way? That's the way God designed you to be. But again, in order to rightly run to Jesus, to be restored, we've got to rip that scab off and recognize the brokenness that we function in, in our homes, in our lives, as women, the world that you have to function in and some distortions to womanhood. So let me, um, let me get into some of those in the same way that we did with, with men. You see some distortions that we operate in in our world today again. Okay, So we have a few, not as many as the men because as always we need to come harder after the men. But um, we see some distortions that show up. In 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 womanhood. So enter in with me as we walk through some of these. The first distortion to womanhood that you see right there in Genesis chapter 3 is the controller, the controlling woman. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says, Your desire will be for your husband. And guys, that's not like awesome women are going to desire me and it's not a, a sexual thing okay this is a, as i've said before this language that term of your desire will be for your husband is um is is a sinful enslavement it's the same term used over in chapter four when one brother Cain um is has the desire of sin overwhelm him so that he murders his own brother It's the same language they're used that that woman's desire, that a wife's desire will be to control her husband. Not in a loving, giving advice and giving input and working together kind of way, but in a domineering, authoritative, tug-of-war, broken kind of way. So you have the controlling woman, and you see in a couple different passages. are not up here, but you can just take note if you're taking note. In Proverbs chapter 21 and also Proverbs chapter 25, there's some language that's used of the controlling woman or the contentious wife. In one place in Proverbs, it says um, a contentious woman is like a dripping faucet, just going on and on and on, and and just the, the kind of environment that that produces. And then elsewhere, it says, it is better to live in the corner of the rooftop than to share a house with a contentious or controlling woman. That's a distortion of womanhood. And then the next one we'll get to is the gossip. And this happens for men as well, but this is specifically in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's language used of the gossiping woman. As I said earlier, often this comes out of a need to um, define yourself, to figure out womanhood for yourselves, for ourselves. And so you have the Gossiper, seeking to build oneself up by tearing others down. Did you see what so-and-so is doing? Did you see what those neighbors are doing with their kids? Did you see this? Did you see that? And just this kind of gossiping world. In that passage in First Timothy chapter 5, there's actually a warning. It says the gossiping woman can tear down the entire church. The family of God can be broken by this kind of distortion in womanhood. And then the third distortion there are four the third one that we see in scripture is the seductress, the seductive woman in Proverbs chapter nine thirteen it says the woman folly she is seductive and knows nothing there's a warning the seductive woman is a distortion to womanhood. stay away from her this is a charge to young men it says don't go near you will be you will be broken in fact in Proverbs chapter 5, men, especially young men, every man, but if you've never read Proverbs chapter 5, you should, you need to. But the language used there, it says the seductive woman or the adulterer, it says her lips drip with honey, but her taste is bitter. She will ruin you. And let me just pause here before we get into the fourth distortion. All of these so far, so far, all of these distortions of womanhood, I need to acknowledge and recognize. They have been turned and used as um, abusive, often even from men. Okay, I need to acknowledge and recognize as a white, middle class, male up here as a pastor in a position of authority, I need to recognize, acknowledge that those things have been used. Are they sin? Yes. To gossip, to be seductive, to be controlling, to, that is sin, but it's, it's, it's a result and a product of brokenness. Again, we start with the men. I think sin and broken identity as gender, as relationships, um, starts with the men. Okay? So I came back to that. And, and you see the need to control born out of a broken system in marriage and family and life because women are not esteemed and, and welcomed and encouraged to lead and to, and to love and to serve alongside their husbands. So you see these distortions there. And then you see the need to gossip or the need to be seductive comes out of brokenness, out of broken identity. I need to wear clothes a certain way because I had an absent father or I've had abusive or passive or blaming men in my life. So that's how I need to operate now. I need to be seductive because it's the only way that my identity as a woman can be built up is to um, uh, draw attraction in that way. And so I just want to say I'm sorry. And I also want to say it's not the way it ought to be. It's a sin and it's a result of brokenness. And as God rips this scab off of the distortions of identity, your distortion of womanhood that you've had to operate in, you can be rightly positioned to look to Jesus to be restored. And so the last distortion that I want to hit on is the doormat. In Genesis chapter 2, and even in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 3, as God talks about the relationship between men and women, he does, there are some things in there, and I'm not going to be able to get into it all in this sermon, but there are some things in there that maybe make us uncomfortable, again, because of sin. It says, um, God said, I am going to create a helper. And that can be distorted and abused. And men can say, see, you're my helper. Let me sit back on the lazy boy. Help me, serve me. No, the language there is one of empowerer. There are different roles as men, as women, but not um, different value and worth. Th- that language, helper, is the same word used for God, the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says to his church, I'm going away, but it's to your advantage that I leave, Women, look at me. God says, it's better that Jesus would leave because I'm going to send for you a helper. God, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to carry out the mission I have given you. God sends us the helper. That same word, helper, is this same word used that God gives to define women. To empower, to go alongside, to lead alongside, to serve alongside in all of life. But because of distortion, too many women have experienced abuse and passiveness and just end up living as in a distortion as a doormat rather than a helper, an encourager, an affirmer. And as I kind of bring us home now, we in this room right here, we need to recognize we have broken men, distorted men, broken women, distorted women, and that leads us to broken and distorted homes. Okay, we all in this room, every one of us, I'm confident I haven't taken a poll. I didn't have you hold your hands up, but I am absolutely confident that everyone in here in some fashion has been affected and defined by a broken home in some way. I have a a whole bunch of them. We live in them, our neighbors, our families, our own homes, our own lives. There's brokenness. And for a lot of us, that leads us to where we are today, believing two primary lies. Okay, the first lie is those of us who came in more obvious broken homes. Okay, our parents divorced. There was abuse. There was alcoholism. There was violence. There are all these things. And we just um, think that's the stream I'm in. That's the hand that's been dealt to me. We say silly things like, well, I'm not as bad as my own dad was. Or, I'm not as bad as that. And we just sit in the like a lazy, like a lazy river, We're just stuck in that family line that we're born into, the broken family, enslaved to distortion. And we just sit there and our families and our legacies are perpetuated in brokenness and in sin and in distortion as men and as women and as families. But that's a lie. The good news of Jesus is that he has come to make all things new, to usher in a new family line, to restore you. And lastly, in case there's anyone here who thinks, and even those of us who are young parents, and we think, well, I've got a good home. We're not divorcing. We all eat together. We eat three meals a day. Our family's good. Our kids are going to grow up to, you know, be respectful and polite. They're going to vote the right way. They're going to be... V- virgins, a lot of effort in kids is just thinking, well, you've achieved your, you've been a good parent if your kids are v- virgins and that's great and honorable, but we need to get to the deeper issue of brokenness and of sin and of our need for Jesus. No matter how pretty the outside might look, no matter how clean and um, perfect our homes might look, it's not enough. Apart from Jesus, it is continuing in a distorted trajectory in a broken family line. But going back to Galatians chapter 4, what did we hear? The real news of where we're born is we're born into a broken family line enslaved to sin. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news that defines you as a man, that defines you as a woman, that defines your home and your family, that defines us as a people, is that Jesus has come to usher in a new family. That God the Father sent God the Son so that you and I could be adopted, given the full rights, his sons and his daughters, given a new identity as a people, so that through Jesus we can be restored men, restored women, and have restored families. And now, um, as, we, as we close, as we prepare to respond right now, in a moment, Jared's going to come up. He's going to lead us through our time of response, and the worship team is going to come up, and he'll give more, more detailed explanation. But I just want to say... Um, We always have time to pray. We always want to have an environment of freedom where we can, where we can sing. This, um, this content needs to lead us all, I think, to a place of repentance, of confession, perhaps of needing to shed tears and to recognize the brokenness, the sin that has been done to us and the sin that has flowed out of us, but also the hope we have in Jesus, the restoration of who we are. His men and His women. And so I want to encourage you as we have people to pray on the side. We're a family here. We're a church family. Let's pray together. Let's worship together. Let's take communion together. So again, let me pray as Jared um, prepares to come up and to lead us into this important time of responding to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Again, thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that you, you redefine what Father means Lord God, thank you that you redefine what man means. Lord Jesus, you redefine what woman means. You redefine family and home. You are restoring us as a people. Lord, thank you. Um, I want to recognize the difficulty for some of us in here hearing this content. But I pray that you will remind us and encourage us and bring joy to us, whatever our circumstance now, that there is hope, that you have ushered in a perfect family line, that that we have a father who is not absent, who is not abusive, but who has welcomed us, who we get to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Thank you that we have a head of our home, Jesus, who is not absent, who's not passive, who's not abusive, who's not domineering, but who's sacrificial who laid down his life so that we might have life in your family as adopted sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.